0: Hello, I'm Chris Biddle and welcome to episode 94 of Inside Agriturf. Now I first met today's guest just over 10 years ago when I was hosting the 2012 Turf Pro Magazine Awards, one of which was to the Young Turf Professional of the Year. The winner was John Ledwich for his work in producing pitches at the Coventry City Ground for the soccer tournament at the 2012 Olympics. Since then, John has moved on from Coventry City to Leicester City, where he is now Head of Sports Turf and Grounds, a post that is not confined simply to the stadium and training ground for the Premier League side, but extends to other sporting venues, as you will hear. An accomplished communicator, John has gained a Master's Degree in Football Business and Management, and has recently been instrumental in setting up an innovative, multi-million pound sports turf academy at Leicester. So, John, thank you for joining me today. I understand that at school you were considered a, a grade A pupil, and yet you hankered after doing something connected with your beloved Coventry City. Now, How did that all come about?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean I, I left school at, at sixteen, but I'd actually started working voluntarily at Coventry City at thirteen. And the reason I got into it really was is because I wanted to be a footballer which you know most boys and girls up and down the country do nowadays. And I was just overweight, to be perfectly honest. I was um, far too big for that uh, shenanigans. So I ended up sort of saying to my dad, you know, how do I get onto the pitch? Um, because like most, you know, people that support a club, it's their dream to get onto there hometowns or home teams uh, pitch and dad said to me well right when you write a letter to the groundsman and I genuinely and I feel bad for saying it now as I didn't know what, what the groundsman was but I thought if he gets me on the pitch then happy days. So I did that and um I got a response to go and help in the summer holidays and um I walked in the door. I spent a week with the groundsman at the time Joe Forster who's unfortunately he passed away a couple of years ago um and I absolutely fell in love with it. And you know, you know it's one of those things it's it become a passion really really quickly the thought of working in a sport and environment my my favorite football club every single day of the week was a dream come true um so yeah it, it all sort of started and stemmed from there but I still stuck you know, nailed down at school and got my good grades and made sure that I was still doing what I needed to do and left school with a teacher screaming in my ear to go to university but I just knew I was following my heart and uh you know, at that point, you know, it wasn't as well established as the career sort of path it is today. Even though there's still work to do, um, and I just, again, I just fell in love with it, and I still love it today. Chris, to be honest, I still come into work, even though my roles diversified immensely over the past sort of eight to ten years. Um, I absolutely love what I do. I love working in the football environment, and I, I love seeing the results of what we're producing. So yeah, it's uh, it's been quite a journey.
0: And I understand that uh, you not only look after King Power Stadium and the, the training grounds, of course, but um, your owners are also um, own golf a golf course or two golf courses, not sure. Um, polo pitches, and of course, I think you've got an interest in a, a Belgian uh, football club, don't you?
1: Yeah, that that's name? correct. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, my my sort of remit covers um the primarily is Leicester City's estate. So, obviously, the new training facility in Seagrave, our stadium at the King Power. And um, our women's training facility, which is the previous men's training facility. Um, and that's the immediate sort of what I look after as long as there's a turf academy, which I'm sure we'll get on to. Um, but, yeah, naturally what happens, it seems to happen. Anything that's green or outdoors tends to land on my doorstep. And <laughs> um, so I have um, we, we have an advisory role within their two polo farms in London. Um, and about five years ago now, we acquired OH Leuven in Belgium. And I was immediately flown out to set up the infrastructure there for the training ground, the stadium, the pitches, machinery, staff, um, build a bit of a culture because there wasn't really one for groundsmen or greenkeepers, as they call them in Belgium. Um, and often in Europe, they're often referred to as greenkeepers. And um, yeah, and now we've established a team over there and I've managed to take a step back and I'm there on an advisory basis. I get involved in big projects, uh, legal matters, um, you know, annual plans, whatever it might be. Um, But the guys over there are brilliant and the guys at the polo are brilliant as well. And we're just on my role is more of a support mechanism and advisory role to them. So, uh, yeah, it's very interesting. Keeps me on the toes.
0: Um, yeah, I'm sure. And I guess um as you say you look after everything green uh, and of course there's different types of uh, uh, skills involved in sports ground uh, preparation. Do, do you um do you often think whether you could easily uh, swap places with Carl McDermott at Lords or Neil Stubley at uh, the All England Lawn Tennis Club at, at Wimbledon. Um if you were pitched in late would would you cope with their jobs do you think?
1: I think um I think I would mackle my way through very probably very poorly in the first instance to be honest because <laughs> as i've as we i've found even with obviously we have a golf course on site at, at leicester city's new training ground, um and you know greenkeeping is an art form um along with you know the guys like neil at wimbledon and guys around the country at cricket clubs and you know it is an art form in those different disciplines and uh I think I could happily probably look after the outfield in cricket quite well, <laughs> um, but uh, the cricket side of things is a dark art. And obviously, same with, with tennis courts. It's. Um, I think if it was more st- a strategic role, I think I'd probably add some value. But I think if it was in terms of producing the services that those guys do such a great job at, um, I think it would take me a little bit of time to get my feet under the table and uh, make it work.
0: And just just thinking about that, you've got two major clubs uh, in in Leicester, obviously yourself and uh, Leicester Tigers. Do you have any sort of collaboration with them? Or have you ever given thought to what it would be like to manage a multi-use stadium? I'm trying to think of, obviously, at the Rico, as was, um, Wasp played. And I think Bristol City, Ashton Gate host uh, football and rugby have you got any feelings on whether those those do actually mix, John?
1: Well, I had first-hand experience of it because I used to work at the Rico Arena as it was back back then, yeah. um, and I understand the pressures, the commercial pressures that these stadiums face in terms of the pitch is as an asset to them, um, and that's a it's a really valuable asset to them as well. And uh, I think I think they can mix. I think they they do mix and they do mix well. But as with anything you know it, it depends on the level of support for the infrastructure for the pitch that that you're given by the stadium owners or the board or however that works because you know it, while it's a valuable asset it also has its limits and if you're not supported with the resource to make sure that you can ascertain a certain quality um, then it will suffer you know i've seen it myself i was at the rico arena and we had it was a very multi-use venue and i produced some of the worst pitches i've ever produced in my career at that place but it was down to the the pressures and the lack of lack of funds to invest in, you know, lighting rig systems or you know, stitch systems, hybrid systems, whatever it may be, um, and we did our best. But you know, you do need that level of support, and it, is, it can work. And it, and it just, I always say, it's about sort of setting expectations. You know, if your football club or your sports club or your ground uh, stadium want to ascertain really, really high standards, then they either have to support you with resource or they have to limit the use. Um, because that's what causes damage and I always say this to to our guys here is, is that nothing we do will cause damage to that pitch or make it worse it will be from the usage of that pitch and how we can recover it that all, you'll see the deterioration so yeah I think um, you know we don't necessarily have a, a lot to do with, with Tigers immediately I know the guys over there I know Ed, Ed Moe quite well um, he used to actually be the head groundsman before I got the job at Leicester so he's still quite close Um, And we have helped them occasionally with, you know, might be frost protection covers or rain covers. And there's a little bit of collaboration there. But, um, yeah, certainly in these multi-use venues, it's a challenge, but a challenge that can be met, given support with resource.
0: I I suppose that brings us on to the ongoing debate about um, artificial surfaces, um, now hybrid surfaces and natural grass surfaces. Um, How do you mix those? Presumably you make uh, use of all, all three?
1: Yeah, so I mean our um, our aim really is consistency for all of our athletes and, and players. Um to so the stadium pitch, there's an exact replica that was constructed almost at the exact same time um as the stadium. So we, we have four training pitches dedicated to the first team, which are all stitched hybrid pitches. Um our under 23s then have a, a sort of a sort of more diluted version of a hybrid, which is a fibre sand. And then for our sort of academy age groups, they are constructed pitches, but with no reinforcement. Um, and the main reason for that really is the load of the players, because we do a lot into the biomechanics of the players at Leicester City. We look into a lot of how, that, how the surface interacts with those players and what it gives them back. And you can imagine that, you know, a, the force and the load that runs through a, a professional player's leg versus an eight-year-old's leg, um, they don't necessarily require the same amount of support, but we want the characteristics to be the same. And um, so across our sites, we have a blend of those three different construction types, not construction types, but reinforcement types. And, uh, you know, we manage them in exactly the same way, whether you're an under eight player or whether you're a first team player, um, because everything that we do here at Leicester is, is about consistency. And we also um, are starting to do that level of testing with the women's game now, which is our old training ground or our previous training round, which is now a women's training centre. They've got three-stitch pitches as well, um, and we're starting to look into the biomechanics with the sports science team there and the effects that these pitches have on those players. Um, artificials have their place. I know there's a big discussion, and you know everyone would probably expect me to be, you know, down with the artificials and no, get them out, they're terrible. Um, but you know, I think if you ask any groundsman who runs a training ground, especially, they serve a purpose. You know, we have huge academy usage here at our place. Um, and I don't think the grass pitches would cope without blending that across some synthetic use in, uh, you know, the the real periods where we struggle through the winter. And so, you know, they have, they definitely have their place at the lower levels. They have their place in terms of generating revenue for these clubs that just need to survive. Um, but, you know, there are studies and suggestions that, that there is a, a potential increase in the risk of injury. Um but as with everything it's a contributing factor it's not the only factor of injury same as natural pitches um so yeah there's a, there's a whole there's a whole range we cover everything here um you know and we, and we use everything as well so and we're collecting great amounts of data off all of those pitches that are hopefully going to inform some of the research that we undertake with the turf academy
0: yeah John, as, um, let let's say uh, as the home team can you as the grounds team make a difference uh, what difference can you make um we we hear about um football sorry cricket uh pitches being uh, prepared obviously to a certain standard but with an eye on the uh, who's playing at home um what what's the situation in football what's the fit situation with you
1: yes i mean we the margins in football are, are minor really In you know, most Premier League clubs especially now have got a very similar construction to the way that we have and the only difference really comes as as those pitches get older um, the characteristics of them start to change. I mean, back in the olden days you used to hear about them leaving the wings long and the middle short so that the ball dragged when Arsenal used to come and play and you know, they'd shorten the pitch and lengthen the pitch but we're wrapped by a fair bit of legislation now by the Premier League in terms of pitch measurements and criteria that we have to meet to avoid that um, because, you know, Slightly so, you know, we, we're in an entertainment business, whether we like it or not. Um, and the style of football will be dictated by the sort of pitches that we produce. You know, what we try and do here at Leicester is focus on what what is our sort of sweet spot with the pitches, what is our best parameters to get the best performance out of the players, um, and focus focus in on that. And they are marginal gains, just to be honest. They are the one, two percent that might make a bit of a difference. Um, certainly in the style of football that we like to play where it's on the ground, it's quick, it's fast-paced. Our manager likes the the pitch to be cut to a certain height and he likes it to be wet to make sure that the ball moves quickly. Um, and we take care of the biomechanics that sit below that to try and protect the players from injury as best we can. So, yeah, it's um, we can affect it, but I think with the standard of the pitches, certainly in the Premier League now, and obviously in the Championship and even the lower leagues is getting better and better all the time. Um, the margins are so small, but we just do our bit to try and keep Leicester as consistent as possible.
0: Are there such things as pitch inspectors? Do you, do you get subject to that like they have in cricket?
1: So not necessarily officially. We're, we're not judged. We are judged on a sort of uh, match day by the referee and his delegate, um, which you know is a, is a layman's view on, on what they see and very is very much probably judged on visual aspects rather than the actual mechanics of what's happening underneath their feet. But we're not subject to any form of pitch inspection unless you're up for an award where you might get an um, independent agronomist come out and tell you whether your pitch is a second or third in the country or whatever it may be. So yeah, yeah. we're not necessarily subject to like the are in cricket for sure. We're not um we're definitely yeah. not subject. Uh, You you
0: mentioned safety just now. Um, Presumably that is uh, the the value of a a footballer's right leg, left leg or any leg or crucial ligament or or whatever uh, might go. Presumably that has to be foremost in terms of your pitch preparation, does it, uh, John?
1: Absolutely. I mean, it's something that we focus really heavily on when I always speak to our medical team and speak to our boards, you know, if we're looking for some approval for some further testing or whatever it may be, investment in pitches. You know, I would say we're here to protect the asset and the most valuable asset at our football club are the players. Um, And, you know, we are a contributing factor to injuries, whether we like it or not. But we're also a contributing factor to performance. And so, again, we work really, really hard. We test our pitches every single day. We feed all of that data into the medical team who then will overlay that data with some of the player data they get back. And we're really, um, you know, lots of other clubs do test their pitches. I'm not saying we're the only ones by by far, but I think we are head and shoulders above any other club in terms of the amount of testing and the amount of data that we've got. And only really now, um, developing that out with our sort of doctor of sports who sits within our building at the sports turf Academy, um, we're starting to develop a research piece with our medical team that hopefully will help inform others and offer best practice. So but absolutely you're right, Chris. You know, they are a number one priority in terms of making sure that the safe the services that we produce are stable and safe um and are giving them the best possible conditions for performance.
0: Uh, and will the data that you you, you get then, John, uh, could that influence either the way the game's played or even the selection of the team?
1: I think it would um it definitely would influence I would say more um, recovery from injury potentially that's something that we're looking at at the minute how can we manipulate areas to aid the level of recovery out of an injury Um, because as you'll know there's often the migration from hard floor in the gym in trainers then out onto grass in trainers and then onto certain surfaces with boots and then into full training Um, and you know what we're looking at at the minute is manipulating different areas of the training ground to allow that recovery to take place maybe quicker and turn players around a little bit quicker that's a really interesting area for us at the minute but um yeah it's uh, it's becoming more and more of a science in that sense you know we are really heavily looking into that i don't think i wouldn't say we would ever influence team selection i would say that the, the analysts and the medical team will look at the pitches in more detail now than they ever have certainly here and maybe make a call on who's best suited to be on that pitch maybe for training um, but certainly, when all the players are training at full tilt, then they are they're match ready, irrespective of what the pitch is doing. So, yeah, maybe in the future we might influence boot choice. That would be something that we'd be interested in looking at um, and informing the players, which will give them the best traction and the best grip on the certain types of surfaces. But um, something that you know we're looking at further down the line, hopefully.
0: What about the importance yeah. of presentation of your pitch? I mean, aesthetics. Uh, it is all important these days, particularly t- with television. Um, do you tend to stick with the same regime, or do you change it? Um, how do you handle that?
1: Yeah, I mean, the presentation is is really really important to us because you know we are again, like I said, we're we're in the entertainment business. We're part of the Premier League brand. We're part of the football clubs brand, and it's only negative press if the pitch doesn't look good. We all know that only typically you only hear about pitches when they when they look terrible or when they don't play so well which is a shame, but um, it is really important to us. And also we're looking into this psychological aspect of what the players perceive. You know, a lot of the players' preparation is how they dress when they turn up to the stadium, how they feel coming in, the music that's playing, their, their massage and all this. That, and, either, and I'm pretty certain that their psychological state would be affected if they walked onto a pitch that wasn't particularly good versus walking on one that they feel safe and secure and it looks aesthetically pleasing so I think there's definitely something in that that we would again hopefully be looking into with a bit and, of and, and, in-
0: and, Sorry John does, does that extend to the to, to the look of your grounds team as well um, I mean there are they are professionals um, they've also presumably got to look professional
1: and look good Yeah absolutely I think you know what's important to us in terms of building a reputation and we have done this really well at Leicester in the nine stroke ten years that I've been here um, is, is that you know, we put an emphasis on looking neat and tidy, you know, because there is the stigma that, and we will occasionally be covered in mud and have our hands down dirty holes trying to clear things out and all that sort of thing. But you know, we've we've had to move away from that image in order to gain some reputational strategy within the football club, and that's that's worked really well for us. You know, we our our guys are kitted out in the same training where that the players are in, in terms of you know tracksuits and all the rest of it, um, and you know, we make sure that. We're always clean and tidy, and if we're ever going into meetings, then obviously we make sure that we've got fresh fresh clothes on if we've been working in the day or whatever. So, image on that sense is really really important to us because that carries the reputation of the department really.
0: Now, much of the watchword these days is sustainability, uh, John. And uh, after the summer we've just had, uh, did that prove you uh, provide you with problems? And 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 how do you look after the, the stadium in terms of uh, it being uh, sustainable?
1: Yeah, I mean, so I'm fortunate enough to sit on our, our environmental responsibility panel at the club, and you know, we're we're very much taking it seriously in terms of making ourselves more sustainable as a as a club, um, and we've got a working group towards that. But the things that we've done specifically at the stadium to combat, certainly, as we all knew um, this summer, water was like the new gold, um, and fortunately for us, we we had a lot of foresight into to what was coming and we actually uh, when we reconstructed our pitch two years ago installed a water reclamation system so every single drop of water that's applied to the pitch is recycled and reused back on the pitch all by some of the transpiration which takes place obviously in the heat of summer um just to give you some figures we in in a year we applied around about eight thousand cubic meters of water to the stadium pitch and only 470 cubic meters were from the mains, the rest was all recycled. Um, mm. So whilst we were saving the club a reasonable amount of money, um, it was more about the environmental effect that that has. You know, in terms of when, when more and more we're seeing that this is becoming these warmer summers will become the new norm. We have to be diverse in the way that we preserve precious water, which is exactly what it is. Um, And that's what we've done. We've we've installed a hundred thousand litre tank down one side of the track underneath the track at the stadium. So it's, um, it's been a really successful project and something that we're looking to replicate, hopefully, up at the new training facility.
0: Can I just ask you now about the the sports turf academy? Um, presumably, one of one of the raison d'être of, of that, John, will be to the the provision of good playing grass playing surfaces. You just uh, outlined how difficult that might be in a changing climate. So, what was the origins of the uh, the academy?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I have to cast my mind back to two thousand and thirteen when Coventry left uh, the Rico Arena, as it was, to go and play at Northampton Town and I decided then to stay at the stadium company's uh, employment and because uh, we thought they were going to come back consequently they didn't which left me with a lot of time on my hands <laughs> and I have an active imagination in terms of always looking for sorry, looking for the next step but looking to stretch myself in terms of capabilities and I've come up with this, I've, I've been involved in the industry for you know over 20 years now and I, I knew there was a gap for a central hub that covered all aspects of management be it um, football, rugby, hockey, you name it, lawn, tennis, whatever it may be. And the original vision was to build a site that catered for all of those. Uh, unfortunately, when I built the business plan out, I needed about 30 million to get it off the ground. <laughs> and I didn't but well, it surprised me I didn't have 30 million in the bank and I couldn't find any investors that were willing to take the plunge. Um, so I parked it and then came to Leicester. And you know, obviously I was really, really fortunate to be part of the project board to deliver this new facility that we built and finished in December, 2020. And I, and I went to the owners and uh, the chief executive said, look, I'm gonna give you a piece of my soul here. This is something that I really passionately believe could work um, and sold them and the, sell them sort of for mini, military purposes, but I, I give them the, the idea and the vision of what we wanted to create. And um, I'm so, so fortunate that they backed it. Um, you know they put, they, they put a, few, a fair few million into the building um, and they said, you've got to make it work as a business and subsequently we've gone on to do that we're now sort of just halfway through our second year of trading if you want to call it that and we you know we, we offer training and education which you know covers everything from a one-day course to a, a postgraduate degree um that, that can take place within our building uh, bespoke courses that we've developed ourselves and um, we offer trials and research so all the tough stuff we're talking about the lovely stuff about the the player interaction with the surfaces, and also some agronomical trials and data. We do that independently. For ourselves, we have a fully spec laboratory, our doctor of sports turf, Dr. Jonathan Knowles, who has a PhD in endophytes in sports turf, um, which is interesting if you like that sort of thing. Mm. Um, I often uh, glaze over when he talks about it without <laughs> being disrespectful. Um, and uh, we have, as I say, a fully spec laboratory. We also have a 1,000 square metres of trial plots Um, So they're based outdoors and we we run all sorts of trials on different types of seed cultivars, different cultural practices and sustainable chemical practices and all the rest of it. Um, And they take place there. And the idea with that is to inform the industry of best practice rather than being commercialised by companies, maybe leaning on the results to look a certain way. Um, So we're trying to stay truly independent and that's hopefully inform the industry of best practice. We've also got tournament support where we, you know, we've just um, welcomed one of our guys back from the World Cat- Cup um, and we offer expertise to these tournament providers to help them deliver the tournament successfully. Um, and then the last one's technical services. And the technical services, we've we've managed to um, improve 200 grassroots pitches across Leicestershire in the last sort of 12 to 18 months, which is a real proud achievement of ours. And that's with one man in a truck and using the equipment from the club. Uh, we go out, we help these guys ascertain their funding. We put a programme of works together and then we help them achieve their Well, basically achieve improvement in their pitches at grassroots level. Um, and that's been really, really successful for us. Um, and also within that technical services, um, we've worked with Polo Farms in terms of improving their surfaces in equine, relating some of the data that we are seeing at the football club across to equine practices, which is really interesting for us. And that basically is me going into clubs and offering that sort of level of, I wouldn't call it consultancy, but more advisory service than anything else. Um, And yeah, you know, we we have to make money. And ways with that business plan is what we call a double bottom line. Um, The bottom line is we have to make money because we have to keep the lights on, we have to pay people's wages and we have to, you know, stay afloat. Um, But the second bottom line is the influence we have on our community, the influence we have on the industry, and the influence we have on anyone that walks through our door at least having a good experience um, and all of the all of our profits are reinvested back into strengthening and growing the turf academy be it through staff and resource or funding apprenticeships which were just about to start this year we, we put 24 apprentices through our program last year um, and they they went straight into the football club and now this year we will we are paying for our own three dedicated apprentices to sit within the sports turf academy so um, yeah that in a nutshell is what we're doing i probably could speak for about two days on the surf academy but I'm trying to keep it short and brief but you know yeah. we're here for the industry that's what we're here for we're not it's not a venture about um you know my ego or anything like that this is here to help and sort of secure the next generation of the industry and upskill the ones that are already in it
0: sure H- have you received uh, interest from other clubs maybe who wish to do something similar?
1: um well we would welcome it to be honest but it you know what we've what we found is it's a lot of work um it would take whoever was in a similar position to me to really stretch themselves and understand how business works which I've managed to do with my MBA qualification which the club Mm -hmm. funded for me which was really really generous of them and um and so we we had a a bit of light interest certainly in the technical services work where they can go into the grassroots and and raise some revenue from that. And, you know, we've had a bit of interest in setting that up in a diff- couple of different clubs, but um, to set up a whole academy would be really a- an onerous task, you know, because I'm living it firsthand. So I share that experience, but we would <laughs> welcome it. Yes. Uh,
0: and, and what's what's the plan going forward over the next uh, five, 10 years? Is it more of the same or uh, just j- just improve along
1: the line with all your services? Yeah, I mean, to, to be fair, we want to be at the forefront of, of training and education for the industry. We want to be the go to for um, support and staff. We want to be the people that are renowned for giving high quality trials and research. And I think for us, it's, it is a, the foundation is more of the same. Um, but we have got big plans to potentially sort of start moving our technical services um, up and down the country but you know I think that's probably another two to three years away but strategically that's something we'd look to do so that our influence stretches further but there'll always be that hub back at Leicester City um, where we do our training education and all the upskilling and actually the other three pillars so yeah we've got big plans for growth and there's lots and lots when I look at my I'm looking at my uh, whiteboard in the office now and we have eight or ten work streams that if if they land um, we could explode quite quickly. <laughs> so yeah. I'm gonna have to think on my feet and get moving. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think we'd agree that the the image of a ground staff is is not as as good as it should be amongst the general public. Um do do you think the industry could do more in terms of communicating with uh, well with the the fans, with with the crowds and in in general with the general public.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think there is still, unfortunately, for us, there still is that perception that this is a a trade that you fall into, that you inherit because your granddad or your dad did it, and um, and it's not a real career choice for school leavers, and and that is our responsibility. You know, certainly at Turf Academy, we're working hard on getting into schools and making it a more viable career choice. But I think um, the sort of the fortunate and unfortunate element of this is that we have to lean on the the glitz and glamour of the big clubs like us. That's the hook in the mouth. That's where we get people in. Um, That's why we built the Turf Academy as an aspirational place, not a a partition in a a dumpy old shed. This is a proper multi-million pound building that will make people want to come and learn. Um, But, you know, the the industry definitely needs to do more in terms of raising profile. We have some really good initiatives with Grounds Week. and The GMA do their bit to try and promote... I think um, you know, we have to appeal to a whole new generation now. You know, the, the generation that we're in, they want work-life balance, they want good conditions to work in, they demand it actually. Um and I think if we are as an industry archaic in in the approach where, well, that's how we've always done it. I was I never got these luxuries, I never got these privileges, then unfortunately the the industry will dwindle. Um and you know, we have a responsibility to be diverse and we're doing that here at Leicester, hopefully quite well, where we, we balance people's time because we understand time is as precious as money these days. it's certainly to our staff. Um, and we've got a real people focused organisation within our department. And I think that, you know, others maybe need to drag themselves out of the dark age to make sure that we can uh, appeal to that younger generation, because otherwise we're going to lose a whole generation to to jobs that give them that balance and give them that, you know, those good paying conditions and that needs to to be across the board really.
0: I, I must say some of the uh, some of the old style groundsmen weren't exactly approachable. Um, and the, the old sign, keep off the grass, was too prevalent, I, I would say. And, and if I'm, actually, a few years ago, uh, John, uh, oh, I'm going back to the late 90s. Um, I was on an ashes tour in Australia and um, uh, watching, not playing on my dad. <laughs> and um, I, I attended, I muscled in on an excellent um, presentation by the uh, or oh, curator. Um, And they ran an initiative at Sydney Cricket Club called Breakfast with the Curator. And what what happened was that the members went into a ballot and it was always oversubscribed. Uh, They had literally had breakfast with the uh, curator, I think, on the third day of play, um, where he'd explained to him how he had prepared the pitch, how it was wearing and what he expected to happen over the next few days. He then took them out to the pitch to let them have a look at it. And um, it was great PR, and uh, and I think something like that, maybe um, you meeting with 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 some of the people, some of the fans, maybe uh, or, or your team uh, might well work. I mean, you may well do that. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's the thing. I think you know we d- we do engage with with our again again Leicester City and the community, and they do a really good job of the outreach work they do for the football club. And you know, we've, we've given talks to the people that they bring into the football club, and I think that. There's definitely, you know, who wouldn't want to stand in the middle of not necessarily Leicester City per se, but any football stadium. We have an access all areas, really, you know, in the sense of the opportunity, the things that we get to see, and how close proximity we are to the players and the staff. And you know, it's um, it's a real unique opportunity. And I think, yeah, there's more can be done in terms of, you know, having events that could uh, benefit us in terms of raising that profile. And I think that there needs to be an overarching sort of national strategy towards that. But what there also needs to be is all all of us doing our own little bit and all those little bits do make a difference um, because word spreads, you know, we're not going to conquer the world, but certainly if we can capture a few imaginations, things like that go a long way towards that, I think.
0: And and what about um, another word bandied around is diversity, obviously these days, uh, John?
1: Well, you know, obviously we, we live in one of the most diverse cities yeah. in the country. And um, to be perfectly honest, even we struggle when we're recruiting, in terms of if you look across our recruitment when we have our CVs in, very rarely will we have anyone from the, from the BAME community, LGBTQT community. We do, you know, they, they very rarely come for jobs. And I think there's, again, the, the key in most football clubs to accessing those demographics are your um, football in the community um, areas. And that is something that we are now launching. We've got actually we've got a meeting with them next week. We've got a presentation to them next week where we're engaging them because we recognize that as a as a real oh, it's necessarily a problem but you know you know it's certainly something that we need to improve on something where we need to at least appeal to to those demographics and make them aware that this is a career option and you know, like i say if you look across our department we are a hundred percent white males you know yeah. and it's it's we've had um, we have had some female employees in the past and um for one reason or another, they, they've left, even though we've, we give them good conditions. We are, uh, you know, we are really bound around equality and diversity. But some for some reason, the industry just doesn't seem to suit the ones that we've had. And it's been a shame because they've, they've been really, really good at their job and we've really, really enjoyed having them. So they said uh, there's work to be done. And, and I think if there's anyone that can do it, it's got to be us because we are living in this such a diverse area of the country.
0: Yeah, I read probably um, a few more female role models. I had um, Jackie Evans from Wellington College on the podcast a couple of episodes ago, and um, uh, I, I can't think of many. Uh, I think there may well be some golf greenkeeper lady here, head greenkeepers, but I can't think of many in the uh, either the school or the professional uh, business. Anyway, so uh,
1: you'd be right. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. Yeah. There isn't enough. There is a, a few that we know of in in greenkeeping, and uh, there's a, there's certainly obviously because we have gardens and landscapes here. We do tend to get more applicants, uh, so female applicants when it comes to gardens and landscaping. But yeah. um, in terms of sports turf, they are almost non-existent.
0: Well, look, John, I really do thank you for your time today. Just to, to lastly, is there any sort of person, or maybe inside the industry, or outside the industry, or uh, that that you is an old role model to you?
1: I think I've had I've had some really good role models coming through as I came through the industry that have taught me some lessons. And you know, obviously um I worked with Jonathan Calderwood, who was at who's at PSG now, and um, he was a great, great mentor and friend to me when I worked with him albeit only 14 months. I was at Aston Villa before I came back to Coventry to take a head my head grounds control. Um He's always been someone that I've admired, I've looked up to, the way he handles himself, his dedication to his role. And, you know, he he's someone that I, I class as a friend and and I, I sort of, I'd say he he was a role model for a certain period of, of time for me um, and still is. You know, he, he produces amazing things over in Paris and he flies the flag for British groundsmanship. And uh, yeah, he's he's a great, great guy. I think if I was to, yeah, to pick anyone, he probably is. There. And I would also say um, Joe Forster, who sadly passed away a couple of years ago, who's the first groundsman I ever worked for. Mm. Um, he, he took a chance on me and he's seen something in me that he believed in. And I'll be forever grateful for the opportunities he gave me as a 13-year-old who just really wanted to get on the pitch. And
0: is there a, a motto that you um, have on the back of the loo door or whatever that uh, drives you forward every day?
1: I mean, we, we have this thing internally that, it, you know, for us, it's all about standards. It's all about us, us achieving our own personal standards, our professional standards, and just pushing them to be as close to world classes as we possibly can be. Um, we are actually just in the middle of now uh, a culture piece to create our own grounds team's culture um, and what are our beliefs and what are our, you know, what do we want to achieve? Because um, we've only really just solidified the team of 54 that we've got now, which is huge. Mm. Um, so there's a, there'll be a collective effort over the next 12 months for us to create our own culture that ties into the club's culture and um, to give us those drives and ambitions and maybe we'll, at the end of that we might have a motto on the back of the door for sure
0: <laughs> yeah that'll do well now obviously you've got a very busy life but is there time for uh pleasure activities uh hobbies pastimes in between that
1: in- yeah well you know I, I i do um i passed my pilot's license uh just relatively recently back in May. Uh, last oh, year
0: congratulations
1: and, uh, and that is to be honest that is the only thing I do to switch off I, um, I have a, a, a small family uh, a, you know two two young children and my wife and I love spending time with them yeah um, but they also understand that you know I'm work probably too much to be perfectly honest and I need to get better at that balance but um, flying is the thing that I do just to completely switch off because if I if I take a work call up there then I'm in all sorts of trouble <laughs> <laughs> so, but, um, yeah that's for me, is my number one hobby. That's the thing that I enjoy doing the most. And um, yeah, I don't have too many vices that I spend my money on. So I enjoy sort of getting <laughs> up and flying at least two or three times a month.
0: And you've had the chance to fly over the stadium. I guess you were taking notes on how it was looking, were you? Uh,
1: yeah, it was my favourite route. I'd sort of, I've <laughs> taken a couple of my family up now where I've gone over the stadium, over the training ground and then back to the airport. And uh, they love it and I love it as well because it's, it's such a unique view from up there of, of our facilities and it also it makes me proud every time I fly over on just the achievements that we've achieved as a, as a group of people and a a great group of human beings that I've got working at the football club is, um, every time I fly over, I just, yeah, filled with pride and also sort of intrepidation. I might have to land on one of the pitches if the engine gives up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, your landing strip. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. Look, John, really very many thanks for that wonderful insight into your, your life. And also the, um, Uh, the the sports turf academy and may i wish you all the best with uh, the continuing success of that uh, enterprise Uh, it looks very exciting it must have been one heck of a lot of hard work and um, i guess also um, congratulations to your owners for actually stand behind it
1: yeah no thank you very much we are so so fortunate with our owners we're so so fortunate with the the Chief Executive and the Board of Directors that we've got and definitely without their support I think we would uh, it'd be a very different picture so uh, yeah thank you for that and uh, we'll just keep hopefully doing good things
0: Excellent well thank you very much again then John thank you
1: Thank you Chris take care
0: So wasn't that fascinating and isn't there much much more to preparing playing surfaces for footballers worth millions that are safe and expressly tailored to suit their physical characteristics than simply cutting the grass. The old slogan for Zanussi, the appliance of science, is alive and well in top-class elite sport, and John shows only too clearly the professionalism, the passion and the pride that he and his contemporaries demonstrate week in, week out, in a largely unheralded but absolutely vital role at sporting stadiums here and around the world. So I'm Chris Biddle, Thank you for joining me, and this is Inside Agriturf.